The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our return guest today is Raymond O'Brien, who described on last week's show some of his NDE and seer abilities that he received from the other side. Raymond died 10 times in one night and has had multiple near-death experiences that ultimately proved to be spiritually transformative to his life. Raymond is a natural-born medical intuitive, and even while suffering from the after-effects of his own NDEs, he continued as a diagnostic seer people who have had NDEs and how to integrate those NDEs into their own lives. Raymond is working with medical professionals in the UK and also with IONS. Raymond, welcome back to NDE Radio. Thank you so much, and thank you for asking me back, guys. Very Uh, much appreciated. It's wonderful that you could be back. And uh, we ended last uh, show with um, uh, a discussion of how your mother had trained you and also your sister in how to be uh, a seer. Basically, and I, I was wondering if you could tell us what that training procedure was like. That's uh, that's a, a great a great question. You hit me with, with some great questions, Lee. Um, going back to the to episode one, I was a reluctant seer. Uh, um, I remember being in in my mother's kitchen. I, I think a lot of the teaching just came automatically from from the other side, just through being a seer, um, and then. One day I was in the kitchen and my mum suffered a great deal of foot pain. And uh, she just stuck her foot out and said, put your hands on my foot. Uh, okay. So I did. And um, she she went uh, a blush red. And uh, I remember looking up to her. I was, I was down on one knee and I had her foot in in both of my hands and I, um, I, I never used to call her mum, I used to call her baby. I went, you're right, baby? I said, you got, you got a, a bit of a flush look going on there. She said, now you have to go and wash your hands. And, um, but before I put my hands onto her feet, she said, you have to keep a thumb off. I thought, ooh, I, I haven't heard this before. Hmm. I said, why, why do I have to do that? She said that when her mother used to do healing uh, or, or seeing, um, she would always take a thumb off. And it was the way that she would wash out through that thumb whatever she had taken. And indeed, what took my granny away was she couldn't get rid of it one day. Uh, It was jaundice. And she'd actually come back to the family and said, I I won't survive this one. So she had already known as well. So mum tells me to to wash my my hands with the thumb off. And I came back into the the kitchen and uh, went, "How's, how's the pain? She went, it's gone. She said, there is, there is no pain. And uh, she went, see, I told you. And I, I still didn't like it. I liked the place I was, you know, dipping in and out of being a seer, stopping people's pain, coming back home in the evenings, doing the alcohol, doing the drugs. But it came with a, a dreaded weight of this has to stop. This has to stop. So got back to my mother the training would would begin, but she she it wasn't how can I say it? She rang me up one day. My mother had a sister who since passed, and um, her name was Annalisa, and 
my mum said, Ray, I can't, can you tell me if Annalisa is still alive? And this is the way that she used to teach me. I said, what, what do you mean, mum? What do you want me to do? She said, I, I want you to, to visit Annalisa on the other side and tell me she's alive. And I remember feeling objectionable about that. But I said, I'll do it. I'll do it when I get home, mum, okay? So I got home. I always used to ring her when I got home, say I got home safely. And as I, as I rang her, so I've got home safely, baby. She said, don't forget to have a look at Annalisa for me. Okay, so that's what I did. Now, I would call it journeying, where it didn't matter where you were in the world, I would find you. And I would be able to see what was wrong with you. So I'd found Annalisa within seconds within my within my mind and she was in she was on a very old single raw iron bed in a place which had no floor which had no walls um it was just this bed floating in the darkness and i stood by it and i looked at it and i knew i shouldn't have been there but because my mum had asked me to go i thought she's my teacher i'll go it must be okay i came back and my man elisa's she's alive like you know, she's okay i said but she's very weak and uh, so she asked me to go back again. I went back again. And before, before I went, I said, am I supposed to be doing this, Mum? Because it doesn't feel right. She said, you, you'll be all right. Just, just go and see. Uh, so back on the other side again, Lee. I meet a man on the other side. So I'm standing there and I'm looking at Annalisa stretched out on, on, on this bed. She hasn't really changed much in colour from the last time I visited her. As I looked to my right, there was this man standing there. He had white eyes. He wore a suit. And he just turned and looked at me. And he went, again, you shouldn't be here. And I came back, told my mum that I'd met this, this man. And I thought that'd be the end of it. There'd be no more sort of practical training to, to, go, to go to this side. Um, she asked me one more time to go back. Uh, I, I said, I'll go back for you, Mum. This is the last time I'm going back because it doesn't feel right. I went, now this is all pre-cardiac arrest. Mm. And uh, I'm on the other side and the guy is standing next to me again. Annalisa is stretched out on, on, on the very same bed. But in between this happening, my auntie lived in Scotland in a place called Paisley. And... Uh, she had some, she had some real tough, she's got some real tough Scottish boys like, you know, and <clears throat> my cousin Stephen knew that I'd come and, and visited Annalisa and it was frowned upon, like, you know, I was actually asked not to come and visit again. And what had happened is that in between them telling me this, one night there was a knock at the door about nine o'clock and, and, and winter time in Scotland. That's a really dark, bleak time. There's a tap at the door and my cousin Stephen has opened the door and there's this guy standing there. And he's, I mean, <laughs> I mean cousin Stephen's gone in his gruff Glaswegian accent. What do you want? The guy said, I know you don't know me. He said, but I'm a healer. He said, and I've been told to come and knock at this front door because somebody here is ill. I don't know. And Stephen has said, well, there is somebody ill here. He said, but you can't come in. And that was the end of it. So this story was relayed to me before I was asked on my third visit. Third visit, get to the other side. Annalise is there. The guy's standing next to me. And in cheeky Ray style, Lee, I've, I've elbowed him. I've gone, all right, all right, fella. And he's looked at me and he's turned and he's facing me. And he went, you shouldn't be here. And as fast as lightning, 
his two hands have come out and he's punched me in the chest. And I got back, came back here to my, to my home after being on the other side. I rang my mother. I said, I've just met that guy, like, you know, and he's, he's, he's punched me on the chest. She said, how does that feel? I said, I feel he's done something to me, mum. She went, you'll be okay. So the teaching went on, but it, was, it wasn't as intense as that. The teachings would, would, would carry on as if um, through, through my mother's friends. Mum would invite them to her house. We would set a time. I would come from my place here, drive up to London, wait for the person who I'm supposed to be working on to come in. And um, one of the ladies was uh, a woman who was um, an old friend of my mum's. She was from Japan. She was having a vacation here, here in the UK. But she wanted to know what was wrong with her legs. And uh, so, again, this is all pre, pre-cardiac arrest. We sat down at my mother's kitchen table and um, the Japanese lady is talking to mum and they're getting on like, like a house on fire. But I can hear the Japanese lady's soul talking to me. It was the most bizarre feeling. I can hear everyone else's conversation and I'm answering, but I can also hear the soul joining in. And the soul is telling me what's wrong with this Japanese lady's body. So as, I, as I'm sitting there, I've, I've, the soul has gone, she has leukemia. She has leukemia in her leg, in her right leg. And uh, so the conversation, the niceties have stopped. Mum has turned to me and said, well, what have you seen? And I thought, blimey, well, that's, that's a bit abrupt. Uh, so before I, I answer the question, I, I, there's a procedure that I go through. Lee. I'll, I will write down or send myself an email. What is wrong with you? Uh, th- and then I'll ask you. So I wrote down what was wrong with this with, with this lady, where her where her cancer was in, in her right leg. And, and that's the answer. She came back. She said, I have cancer in, in my right leg. And uh, my mum looked at me and said, is that what you've written down? Uh, I, I said, yeah, I have, mum. Yeah, yeah, it's here. Oh, you know. So the Japanese ladies asked, can you do anything for me? And, and it was too late. It was already going up to her lungs. Uh, mm. uh, all I said was miracles happen. Uh, yeah. So let's, let's just pray for a miracle. Wow. Uh, and, and, yeah. let, me, let me take you back to that man you met uh, with the white eyes. Yes. Do you suppose that was a, a death figure? And when he hit you in the chest, was he inflicting that uh, cardiac arrest later uh, on? I did feel that, Lee. That's that's how I had interpreted it, um, because I intuitively knew that my mum didn't care about the rules anymore. All she wanted to know about was what was happening to her sister, which I, which I fully understand. Mm. But it came at a cost to me. And um, but I understand. Looking back, I understand why mum had done that. It was it was her way of going. You're not going back anymore. You you are going to jump. And, uh, and 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 that's that's what what happened because it wasn't very long after that before I started getting the uh oh something's something's happening and then you know the, then, the last and, few days. Well, let, let's let's jump back now to um, uh, you are going into surgery. Yeah, you've survived the, the these <laughs> all these heart attacks, which was miraculous, mm. and you're and they're. Uh, they were putting a stent in, I believe, and uh, the doctor who was evaluating you asked if he had anything wrong with himself. <laughs> yes. Yes. A love, lovely guy. I, I still know him. Um, he called me an ambassador for the hospital. 
And um, so I'm, I'm, I was, it was my third day after the cardiac arrest. I'm, I'm still in hospital, bearing in mind the family have come to see me. I haven't recognized any of them, not one. Um, so they say, we're going to put you in for a stent. Thought, okay, all right, I'm, I'm up for that. I'm, I'm still on morphine because I've got cracked teeth, ribs are cracked. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm wheeled in. That was from the CPR? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that that uh, that machine that brings you back, that defibrillator. Oh, eighteen months to get over that. Um, but um, I'm I'm in the operating theatre now, and um, I've I've got the uh, the shocker machine between my legs, and they're they're cleaning up my arm to put the the um, stent in to start the angiogram. And uh, the doctor said, so, you're the guy who's been frightening my nurses. Uh, I, I, looked, <laughs> I looked up at him. I went, yeah, I'm really sorry about that, doc. He said, uh, we've got the uh, the blaster machine here just in case. We're not taking any more chances. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. So he starts putting the stent in. He asked me at first, I want to be put to sleep or would I like to watch it on, on, on the, uh, the screen? So I, I chose to watch it on the screen. And uh, I'm watching him feeding this this angia, I don't know, the, uh, whatever they use to put the, uh, the stent in. And he, he says to me, he says, so, I've been told that you're a seer. And I've, I've looked up at it and I went, yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's right. He went, do you see anything wrong with me? Uh, and I thought, oh, you cheeky sod. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, here? <laughs> In the operating theatre, you went, yeah. Uh, and, and Lee, I, I already knew what was wrong with him. Uh, my, my, they, they'd given me a sedative. So, you know, I think, I think that actually helped me go past the curve, to be honest with you, to be right in tune within the situation that I was in. I said, can I, can I touch you? And he went, yeah. Uh, so before I touched him, I beckoned him in closer. And uh, I said, do you know what's wrong with you? And he went, Yeah. He said, can you do anything? I went, yeah, I can. Uh, and that's when I, I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to touch you now. Like, you know, so I touched him, touched him in, I think it was three or four places across his, his tummy. And uh, as, he's, as he's standing there with the other staff who are watching all this go on, <clears throat> he, he, he was a, he's a half-caste guy. So I, I'd seen that blush, like, you know, that, 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 oh, it's almost like an indicator when whatever I'm doing works. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I touched him. And as I touched him, I beckoned him back in. And I said, do you have trouble pooing? And he went, yeah. I went, you won't, you won't, you won't anymore. He went, thanks, thank you so much. Well, that's all right, Doc. I said, you know, as my mum would say, one hand washes the other. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> we, so we have the operation, so it's, it's a success. I get wheeled out into the recovery room. And there's one of the theatre staff ladies who was in there. She heard everything that was said. And, she, and it, was, it was crazy the way she asked me, Lee. I love her a bit. She looked left and she looked right really furtively. And she went, can I ask you something really unprofessional? Uh, I went, yeah, yeah, of course you can. She said, do you see anything wrong with me? I, I said, do you know what's wrong with you? She went, yeah, I do. I went, okay, can I touch you? She went, yeah. So it's not in, and it's not in an inappropriate place. She went, okay, go away, go, carry on. I touched her, 
She said, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's wrong with me. But while I was touching her, a figure was superimposed over her. It was the figure of a man. And this, this man had something wrong with his left knee. And uh, I, I said, I said, oh, this is the first time this has ever happened. I went, but you're, you're married. And uh, she said, yes. I said, uh, and your husband has something wrong with his left knee. It's really painful. And she looked stunned. And I thought, oh, I've got this one wrong. She went, for your information, she went, my husband's an athlete. And he's coming into this hospital today to have a cartilage operation on his left knee. She said, will he get better? I went, oh, yeah, he'll be, he'll be back running again in a couple of months. If he has any problems, just get him to come and see me. So it was, it was this, Lee, that, that really sort of catapulted me to um, the working on, on uh, the chemo unit. Uh, I was in cardiac rehab. And one of the cardiac staff there asked me, Ray, um, now, now you can't be an engineer. What are you, what are you going to do for a living? And no one has ever said that to me, uh, you know, within the month since I'd been home. Maybe no one had, had the guts to say it to me. I, I couldn't see what was wrong, but clearly people could. And I, I, I panicked. And I said, well, um, um, I'll, um, I'll get a room here at the hospital. I said, I, you, know, I, you know, I come from a family of seers, and if I can help anybody here, I will. She went, what do you mean you're a family of seers? I said, well, I, I, I see things. You know, I see cancers and inflammations and stuff like that. She said, um, cancers, yeah, yeah. And she asked me straight point blank out, do I have cancer, Ray? And I, and I thought, ooh. So there's caveats. I don't just come out with it. I have to wait for the soul to give me permission to look. Uh, and if I don't get that, I don't, I don't look. It's, just, it's as simple as that. So we went through all this. I told you, you may hear something that you don't want to hear. She went, that's all right. So when I'm working, Lee, I go into the most lightest of altered states. I can hear you talk to me and I can reply, but I know that I'm working. So I've heard myself say, well, turn around. And she turned around. She's got her back to me. And I watched my right hand come up. The index finger came out and it touched her below her left shoulder blade. And I tapped her on the left, just below her left shoulder blade. I said, you have got cancer. I said, it's here. But it's, it's about a millimetre in size. And, and then I'd stopped working. And I waited for her to turn around. She turned around. She's the most beautifulest lady she said to me, for your information, it's 1.2 millimetres in size, Ray, because that matters. Uh, she said, my consultant told me that he couldn't get all of the tumour out. She had a tumour on the back wall of her left lung, which was 70 millimetres in diameter. He got all of it out apart from this 1.2 millimetres. And he said, we, 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 we can't get to it. There's no need to it. We can, we can treat it. So she's telling me this. And, I, and I'm like, Wow. Um, she said, do you want to work on the chemo unit? And that was when, that was one of my top five jobs. That was the, the things I did on that chemo unit was just, uh, just astounding. It's, uh, mm. do you know, Lee, do you know when you look up at the stars at, at night and you just go, <sighs> that's exactly how it hit me. Um, the, the stuff I did on that chemo unit people would sit next to me Lee and go I don't know what it is about you but when I sit next to you the pain stops uh, mm. and, and I, 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 I haven't got an answer for that Lee I, I'm just a gog I'm, I'm happy that that 
sitting next to me has that effect. I don't know how or, or, or why I do that, but if that's what happens, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, what struck me about, about your story was that um, you had all this ability uh, to, to diagnose and heal, and yet after following the surgery, you, uh, you didn't recognize your family. No, didn't didn't recognise when they when they said to me your family's here, I, I understood what the word family meant, um, but I, I didn't know I had a family. And when 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 they all filed in, <laughs> I remember, and, and my sister knows exactly what I mean. I love them all the bits, but I remember looking at them thinking, "This is my family. You got you got to be joking, and yeah, uh, it's like Lee. As as far as I was concerned." I'd never seen a black person. And my middle brother is married to a beautiful lady. And, uh, and she's, from, she, she's from the West Indies. Her, her father's a pastor. And, and, I, and I remember watching all my family. Like, obviously, the, they're all white. But stuck in the middle is this black lady. And I remember being so confused, thinking, why is everyone else white, but she's black? But never mind, Ray. We'll ask that question later. But bless her. They're all here. They've come to see you. Um, and and at least I didn't have to, I, I didn't have the heart to go. I don't recognize any of you. Um, and, I, and I've never, ever, ever. And, and, and they all know this. I've been very honest. Never had that connection again. I, I love them, but I haven't got the same connection that I had when I came back. Uh, so that's that's uh, quite. And, y- and yet you have memories of when you were a child. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, there's something that has gone on that I haven't really, I, I still haven't got an answer, I still haven't got answers to. Um, be, because this is, this is, it's it's almost a chameleon effect. It's, it's constantly changing. Um, it's, and it's very hard to keep up. Before I, I um, got, as I was getting myself ready to, to chat to you, I'd had to um, print out some of the research that some people had done so I can go back again um, because the wonderment's just, it's, it's just a tsunami of wonderment. Um, it's, so, so it's very hard to go, today I'm going to sit back and I'm going to focus on this because whenever I do that, something else happens or another soul will come to visit me and, and I'm always kind of carried away. Um, there was, there was there's a lady who... who I would like to mention she's since passed um, when I was working on the chemo unit. Everyone knew why I was on the chemo unit. The staff knew who I was. Um, I used to do a lot of work on the staff. Um, but one of the patients, I was I played guitar and I was practicing one night. And in the corner of the room, I'd noticed there was a soul standing there. It was lost, completely lost. And, and I knew it was a soul because I'd, I'd met souls before, but I, I was one wandering around. And I, I stopped playing guitar, and I looked at this soul in the corner, and the soul told me who the owner was. And uh, I, I thought, oh, oh, that's, I know. So I got in the next day, and, and the lady came in whose who soul it was. And I, I, I questioned her. I said, were you in a lot of pain last night? She said, Ray, I was in so much pain last night. I was crawling around on all fours. I couldn't take any more oromorph. She said, oh, I was up to my limit. She said, why do you ask? I said, because your, your soul came to see me last night. It came to see me at 9.25. She said, that's when I was crawling around. And that was when I started to understand that the soul leaves the body under heavy medication. It goes on a wander. Uh, and I'd seen it when I, when I was in a, a hospice. I'd seen the souls bouncing off the walls as 
the owners of, of the soul were lying on their beds in fetal positions. And, you know, it's an, when you have no one else to talk to about this, Lee, it, it's an awful lot to carry around. It's an awful lot to process. Hence, you know, the reason why I, 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 I um, dropped into psychotherapy and counselling. I needed to put back in what was taken away from me. I, I love the fact that you uh, were working out of a chapel while you were uh, yes. uh, working with the chemo unit. Uh, of yes. course, that's because of my own background as a chaplain in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, th- did you feel uh, this, the spiritual um, connection with the chapel, or was it just uh, a place for you to work? Both. Um, it was... I, I, I think I started to appreciate the the power of of the chapel and the that appreciation came through the people i used i I have small queues outside outside my my little chapel um i knew the chaplain she was a a beautiful lady um she used to ask me to come up upstairs to the ward where not many had had long to live um she asked me to one lady in particular she said come up and see her ray she hasn't got long and uh, so I was there right until the moment she took her last breath. I was there for, I, I watched the last rites be given. Um, so all of that empowered the the energy that I got I got from the chapel. Um, what was wonderful, Lee, was that the, the power coming out of the chapel was so strong that I had every religion come to see me. Um, some, some of the women who would come to see me were Muslim, and, and the first thing I would say is, Please don't say to anyone that, you know, you, you, you were working on me, uh, you know, if my husband ever found out or anything like that, I'd, I'd be in trouble. You know, so that that power was was it made me realize the responsibility that I had. And, uh, it was it was life changing, to be honest with you. Just absolutely, I was so privileged to be there. Um, and and he, just the thoughts about that now still fill me with quite a lot of emotion because uh, mm. it was a very special time. Ray, are you are you available for uh, listeners with problems? I mean, is is there some way that they can you you? I, I gather you can diagnose and perhaps heal from a distance in some cases. Yes, 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 I can. Uh, I mean, this is it, a this is a gift that Edgar Casey had. As a matter of fact, if you're familiar with his work, to 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 be honest with you, what, uh, 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 a short reply to that is is that I kept myself away from from reading other books um, purely because i'm ready now to start reading but at the time lee i felt it diluted my my direction Mm -hmm. i i needed to feel what was coming within from me before i would start adding on others um visions or interpretations um but now i i um there was that I, I ended up back in hospital. Do you, do you remember the guy who looked like Santa Claus? Yes. Um, on, uh, the, on the other side. Yes. Uh, I had to go back into hospital again. Uh, it's not a long story, but it does tie in with, with, uh, with Mr. Casey. Um, <clears throat> I was, because I was a registered healer, um, I was taken to St. Thomas's hospital, very old hospital, been there since the 11th century. And, um, they couldn't find me a bed for about half an hour. Then they brought me up to the eighth floor. It was a little four bedder. My bed was right in the corner, but opposite my bed was some curtains that were closed. 
and the nurse showed me to my bed. I said hi to the other guys. I sat down on my bed and I could hear these two voices coming from behind this, this, this blue curtain. And one voice said to, to, to the other voice, oh, yes, Father, uh, I am, I am, I'm a very, very, very spiritual man, very spiritual. Uh, and, and he said, and I'm a healer. And I thought to myself, what are the odds, Ray, of you <laughs> being in a hospital and there's a healer behind that curtain? And I thought, I can't wait until that curtain gets pulled back. So the first person who comes out, Lee, was the chaplain. Like, you know, gives me a wave. I get one eye, where are you going? He disappears. The nurse comes in, Lee, and she peels back the curtain around this bed. And guess who's sitting in the bed? It's Santa Claus with the brown book. Uh-huh. And I tell you what, I nearly had another heart attack. I got, I got, <laughs> I got out of bed. I, I, I went over to him with my, with my drip, <laughs> squeaked over to him. And I went, hello, mate. I couldn't help but hear you say that you was another healer. My name's Raymond. I'm really pleased to meet you. I, I'm a spiritual healer. And, and he's, he's, he's got this brown book that Santa Claus had on the other side. And uh, he, he looked at me as if I was some sort of madman. <laughs> he's obviously not interested, Ray. So I went back to my bed. Next day, he beckons me over. He said, tell me about yourself. I said, well, I'm a member of so-and-so healing group and I've had this happen to me. And I went, I've met you on the other side when I died. Like, you know, I said, your, your tan book, you was reading a tan book. He said, would you like to know what's in this tan book? I went, I'd love to know what's in that tan book. He said, it's my poetry, Ray. He said, when I was in the army, he said, my platoon was in the Monte Cassino campaign. He said, and we was at the church of St. Francis Assisi. It was all locked up. We couldn't get in. He said, and one of my platoons said, here, here up, Fred. You've got a white feather on your boot. He said, and from that moment on, he went, I was a spiritualist, Ray. He, he said, what group were you in of, of the healing group? And I told him, he went, so you obviously know this person. And I thought, this is getting too much. It was, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was just, it was just absolutely bizarre. So, but he worked with Harry Edwards, the great healer. And uh, his name was, the guy who was in, in the bed opposite me was Fred Matman. And I christened him Fred the Angel because I spent nine days with him and he beckoned me over and he went, Ray, tell me what's wrong with me. Do you know what's wrong with you, Fred? He went, yeah, I do. He went, I'm going for tests tomorrow. I went, all right. So I, I, I told him what was wrong with him. He came back the following day from the test. He looked like he'd been beaten up. It took about three days to recover. He was 84 by this time. Uh, I, he beckoned me over to his bed again a couple of days later. Ray, tell me what's wrong with me. Right, he went, that's exactly what he said. And he looked up at me, Lee, and he held my right hand with his right hand as I stood beside his bed and he looked up. And this is a guy, he was at Dunkirk, he was, he was at D-Day, like, you know. And he looked up at me and he went, am I going to die? And do you know what? I couldn't answer him, Lee, because I knew he was. And mm. he could see the, the, the distress and he moved my hand back and forth. He went, Ray. I went, yes, Fred. He went, always remember, he went, you can't heal everyone he went but promise me one thing i went yes he said promise me you won't stay here promise me you will be an international healer and and i did and in answer to your question of how people can get hold of me they can get hold of me at ray ob1 at live.co.uk so that's r-a-y-o-b the numeral one at live.co.uk and i'll do my very best to get back to you Wow. 
Thank you so much, Ray. We're we're once again out of time, but this has been a, a an amazing two shows thank for you. us. I really thank you for for being so generous with your time. I hope you're not totally inundated with contacts from other people, but uh, I know you can help a lot of the folks out there who have perhaps no other answers. Anyway. This is the end of our show for today. Please join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. And this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>